Hello, this is Joshua Mack from Cornerstone Bible Church. Uh, we're uh, talking about marriage and uh, family, and I hope this is helpful. I hope it's useful. But let me start uh, by asking you a question. Why did you get married? If you are a mom or dad, why do you have children? I hope uh, that you've thought about that question, not in the sense of like, why did I get married? But why did I get married? What is, what's the reason I married my spouse? And what was the reason why we had children? There's a couple different ways, I suppose, that you could answer that. There's a superficial answer uh, that some might give and they might say, well, uh, it was time to get married and I, I liked my spouse and I decided to get married or, uh, well, people have children at a certain age and I like kids, so we had kids. There's a, a deeper answer that we might give as Christians when we look at our spouse and our children. We might say, uh, God orchestrated the events of my life so that I would meet this particular person and I'm married because God allowed me to get married to to them and I have the children I have because God allowed me to have these children. But maybe we can press on that for a moment and and ask maybe a, an even more significant question and that is why did God have you marry the person that you did and have the children that you did? In other words, what is God's goal? For your marriage? What is God's goal for your family? That's an important question to ask because God has a goal for your marriage and for your family. And it is bigger than most people's goal for their marriage and for their family. In fact, uh, let me give you, try to give you a transformational thought. And I'll do that by asking kind of a a trick question. Is marriage and family for your happiness? I ask that because that's a lot of people's goal, right? And sometimes they'll even attribute that goal to God. They'll say, God wants me to be happy. And uh, he gave me marriage and he gave me a family so that I could be happy. I say that's a a trick question because uh, there are a couple different ways we could think about happiness and we do think about happiness. And so uh, sometimes when people talk about happiness, really what they're talking about is that satisfaction and joy that comes from obeying God and from living the life that God wants you to live. But other times, and I, I would think most of the time when people talk about being happy nowadays, they're just talking about feeling great or romantic feelings with their spouse or a family without conflict. Which is nice, of course, having good feelings and uh, not experiencing conflict. But God wants something even more important, ultimately, for your marriage. I, I, I think we could almost always say God wants your happiness in the sense of joy that comes from obedience. So certainly God did give you marriage and did give you a family uh, for your joy. 
But we can't always say that God's goal for your marriage is that you would always feel great and always experience every emotion just as you wish you could experience every emotion. Because God wants something even more important than that for you, and he's going to use marriage and family to accomplish it. God has allowed you to get married to the person you're married to and have the children you have. Or I guess to put it even more directly, you are not married to the person you're married to accidentally, and you didn't have the children you had accidentally. But instead, God brought you into these relationships for a purpose. And one of his ultimate goals in allowing you to marry the person you married and have the children you had is to help you become holy, to change you. There's a, a great illustration of this when it comes to marriage in Ephesians 5:25, uh, where Paul says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And uh, then he goes on and explains how Christ loved the church. He writes, he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In other words, what did Christ's love cause him to do for those who make up the church? It caused him to die, to sanctify them, to cleanse them with the goal of presenting the church to himself in splendor. And you know what is so awesome about Christ and his love for the church as it's pictured here is that what we see is that the church needed to be cleansed. It needed to be purified. God, Jesus wanted the church to be his, holy his. If the church was going to be holy his, he had to purify the church. In order to purify the church, he had to die. And what that tells us is that instead of the church's sins causing Jesus to turn away from her, the church's need propelled Jesus towards her. Jesus loved the church. Jesus saw the church, saw us for what we were. And in seeing us for what we were, his love for us moved us to act on our behalf. That way we might become something different, which is very uh, much the opposite of how we often act in our relationships with others. I think of how as husbands sometimes we see uh, our wife's sins and mistakes and uh, think that those sins and mistakes or at least act like those sins and mistakes are a reason from, for turning away from her. I've met men who it almost seems like they are acting like, I'll love this woman until she fails me. But that is not how it worked with Jesus, is it? He saw us in our sin and he came to give himself up in our place in order that we might be cleansed of our sins and transformed into something wholly different. Which again is is just so different than the way we normally love. How do we normally love? We respond to something we find worthy in the other person. 
But that's not the way it was with God's love. There wasn't anything worthy in us when he loved us like this. But look at his intentions, his purpose in doing all this for the church, because it just keeps getting better and better. Paul says that he gave himself up for the church that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And we could take a long time to just enjoy that because there's so much hope, right, in this passage. Because we look at ourselves now and we don't see what we want to see. As individuals, we long for glory and we don't see it. And as a church, but what Paul is telling us is that Christ is so committed to us as a church that he will finish what he started and bring us to the point where we will stand before him one day, beautiful, glorious, blameless. Why did Christ enter into this relationship with us for that great day? And the point of all this is that in the same way, Paul says in the very next verse, husbands, you are to love your wives. In other words, this is what marriage and this is what family is for. This is God's goal. I think it was Tim Keller who put it like this. He says, you as a husband, you look at your wife and you get a glimpse of the person Jesus died for them to be. And you say, I see who Jesus is making you and it excites me. I want to be part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey to take you to his throne. And when we get there, I'll look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you would be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. The husband should see the great thing Jesus is doing in the life of their spouse through the word and through the gospel. And the husband should then give himself to be a vehicle or tool for that work and look forward to the day when he will stand with his wife before God, seeing her presented in spotless beauty and glory. The illustration I heard, uh, and I just love it. He said, the person who, who gave this illustration said, when many people get married, they're looking for a finished statue, when they should be looking for a wonderful block of marble. Not so you can create the kind of person you want, but rather because you see what kind of person Jesus is making. When we think about Christ's love for the church, it's realistic he recognizes our great need. We needed to be cleansed and purified. At the same time, he also has a great goal for us. There's something beautiful that he's moving us towards. And as husbands and as wives and really moms and dads, we need to follow in Christ's footsteps. Instead of becoming discouraged when we see the imperfections in our family, we need to realize that's why we're there. That's a big part of why we're there. This is part of what God intends for you as a husband so what God intends for you as a, as a wife to help your spouse become holy. And if you don't see the flaws and weaknesses, you're not really in the game at that point. You are there to give yourself up to lovingly help her become like Jesus. But you shouldn't only stop with her flaws and imperfections. Keep your eye on, on where Christ is taking her. You want to be part of helping your spouse become who God wants her to be, and it's glorious. So God has a goal in marriage and family, and that is to use you to help each other become more like Christ. God uses our relationships with our spouses and with our children and with our families to prepare a people for himself. 
I love how Paul Tripp has put it. He says, these everyday relationships are essential to the plan of personal transformation ordained before the world began. God daily gives us opportunities to serve the troubled, angry, discouraged, defeated, confused, and blind. This is the way he works, and he calls each of his children to be part of it. This view of our relationships must transform the way we respond to one another. A tense discussion about disappointment in marriage is more than a time of searing honesty between a husband and a wife. God is at work revealing both of their hearts. He's using the relationship to transform them both. If the couple remembers this, they'll respond to each other in ways remarkably different from their normal pattern. But if their only goal is their personal happiness in terms of just feeling exactly what they want to feel at that moment, each spouse will say, I want my partner to see how unhappy I am and try harder to make me happy. If they both have this goal, the conversation will be nothing more than a self-centered war for personal happiness. They may claim to love each other, but at the level of their heart's desires, both wife and husband are committed only to getting what they want out of the other person. If this conversation, however, takes place between two people who want to be part of God's work of transformation, things dramatically change. It begins with their attitudes. When they think of each other only from a horizontal perspective, they're discouraged, they're hopeless, they're cynical. They've done everything they could to get the other person to shape up, but nothing works. But when they're aware that God is present with his own redemptive purpose and goal, they have every reason for hope. Yeah, they're at the end of themselves, but the Redeemer is active in all of his power and glory. He's been changing them and he will continue to do so. There's every reason to believe that he's up to something good in this family difficulty. Viewing this moment redemptively will also change their posture. In the horizontal model, they'll stand opposed to each other as enemies with competing agendas. From a redemptive standpoint, they stand beside each other. They ultimately want God's will to be done. Does this sound unrealistic? Paul Tripp writes, have we slipped so far from God's purpose for relationships that we can't conceive of doing this? When you study it, what the New Testament says about relationships, this is the model that emerges. For example, what's God's goal for your parenting? It goes way beyond clean rooms, good manners, proper dress, the right college, a good career, and marrying well. In all these things, God calls parents to work towards something deeper and more lasting. Bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is not just about getting your children to do what you want them to do. The call is to be part of God's work of heart transformation, to help the child change from a self-absorbed sinner to one who loves God above all. God's goal for our families is much bigger than our goals often are. And if we're going to have families that are honoring to God and ultimately satisfying to us, we need to get our goals in line with God's. What does God want? What does God want for our marriages and for our families? Sure, God is kind, and so he doesn't he, he wants you to be able to experience feelings of joy and happiness. But he actually wants something even bigger and better than that for you, and he's willing to allow you to go through some difficulties so that you might experience what matters most. 
And that's not just being happy for a moment. That's being holy and bringing glory and honor to him and experiencing the satisfaction and delight that comes from walking with God on a daily basis and the eternal rewards that he's going to give to those who persevere in faith, doing what's right, even when it feels hard.